Welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. In this podcast, we speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we're speaking with Jeff Bennett, co-founder and president of Startup Sack. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about Startup Sack and what got you started on this journey. Sure, yeah. So, as you mentioned, I am the co-founder president of Startup Sack, and Startup Sack is a, a very small and underfunded uh, nonprofit based in Sacramento, uh, California, with a mission to basically grow our entrepreneurial ecosystem. And we do that by informing, educating, uh, connecting the entrepreneurs and innovators in, in our area. We really only became official uh, as an entity, as a nonprofit in March of 2017. Uh, it started out just as a, as a kind of a, a, almost a whim, a side project of mine. I moved here to Sacramento in 2015. I got involved in the startup community by helping to organize a startup weekend. I had been in startups in the past and, and kind of got kind of bit by the startup bug. And I saw a need for basically an online resource for everything that was going on in our community. So I launched startupsec.com, really the only resource at the time and, and really still is that kind of collects and has all the information going on in our community here in Sacramento. And that just kind of grew. Uh, we got some funding from a local uh, city grant to expand what we offered and and we decided to uh, incorporate as a nonprofit, and it's still kind of a part-time gig, but uh, my co-founder and I um, believe strongly that entrepreneurship is the way to build a, a stronger and more equitable uh, economy here in the region. What got you started? What was the inspiration? I know you mentioned Startup Week uh, or Startup Weekend. What is your inspiration to do this work? It's it's really kind of that idea that entrepreneurship is is the opportunity or the way to make a more inclusive uh, economy. It, it really opens up a lot of opportunities across all segments of the of the community. Um, it, it, it's the way I believe I I like to say it, build your own. Don't try to recruit in businesses from all over the, the country. Don't try to bring in Amazon HQ two. That's a <laughs> It's a, it's a zero-sum game, and if you instead focus your money and your time and your energy on growing your own businesses, your entrepreneurs, um, you're going to have a better better success with your economy than trying to always attract these 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 companies from elsewhere. So that's that's kind of the the main uh, motivation for me for for doing what I do. Did you grow up in a small business family where your parents? Are? No, no, not at all. Actually, a very traditional. You know, <laughs> go to you know finish high school, go to college, get a job, and, and and you know I worked. We were chatting before this. I worked for Boeing for a bit, and I think that's you know my parents were elated that I got this, you know, job working for this Fortune, what ten Fortune one hundred company. Um, I left that uh, in in two thousand to work for a startup actually. Um, and, and I think seeing that flexibility and that, that, that culture of, of trying new things versus that bureaucratic culture of a big company is, was, was really appealing to me. After that startup went bust in the dot-com bust, uh, I became a freelancer, solopreneur, if you will, and really liked the, uh, the freedom and the flexibility. Uh, and so that's kind of where the whole entrepreneurship bug kind of bit me. 
I uh, noticed one word you used called underfunded for your <laughs> initiative. Can we talk a little bit about funding uh, ecosystems and, you know, the infrastructure needed to support people? Because that without that investment up front, you're not going to be really effective in supporting small businesses. Yeah, it is. It's, it's probably the most often talked about um, aspect of ecosystem building, um, you know, and, and you know, when I went to the eShip Summit in 2018, I, it was the first time I'd really spent time with, with other people who do what I do, ecosystem building. And it was interesting to see the, the diversity of organizations and types of, of people that do the work. And I saw a lot of people from, you know, economic development offices, universities, uh, city or county governments, uh, and a few people like myself who were just the grassroots organizers. And, and those of us like me, it was interesting to see how how much of a struggle it is to find funding for for those of us who don't work for a government or an economic development agency to actually do the work we do. Um, so it's a constant struggle. It's it's not something unique to me or, or here in Sacramento. I, I've seen uh, lots of evidence from others around the country and, and the world. I suppose that having the, finding the funding to actually do the work to help entrepreneurs is a is a big challenge if you are in a nonprofit or grassroots organization. Who do you think should fund this work? Uh, let's you know get a little bit more granular because there are two or three different schools of uh, thought here, right? For example, uh, I, one of our uh, speakers we brought on, Pam Lewis, she has said that philanthropy should not be funding this because it's not sustainable funding. The moment the funding dries up, then there is a vacuum there that uh, economic development should be funded by the government because they have the best incentivize when the economy grows, they get tax dollars, tax dollars help drive uh, initiatives, et cetera. Wh- how do we fix this problem? Yeah, I don't know have the answer to that. I, I wish I did. <laughs> if I did, I could, if I had the answer, I could, I could share with others. Um, I do have, ex- you know, I can share what I've learned. Uh, I think, you know, to the point of, of philanthropy, it's not sustainable. I, I kind of agree with that. You know, we record, we rely on a lot of philanthropic support from from corporate sponsors. Unfortunately, it doesn't come nearly enough of what we need. So we also rely on on grants, which grant funding is a whole another issue. That's it's a it's a big challenge. It's very burdensome to go through those grants, uh, and and you never know if you're going to get it. Uh, so that's a challenge. Uh, an area that we found most promising is is offering our services as as a service provider essentially. So. We have that kind of a three-tiered mix of, of sponsorships and grants and and services that we provide. Um, who should be doing it? I, I do like the idea that you know there's a lot of people out there that say that entrepreneurship is the way to you know make a make make a great economy, and they believe in entrepreneurship. They believe in ecosystem building, but too many people aren't willing to fund it. Um, so I, I see there's there's this gap there that. People believe in ecosystem building, but not enough to actually fund it. And that's a real challenge and frustration for me. Um, I, I think that there needs to be, you can't just leave it up to the to the ecosystem builders to say, oh, go figure it out, figure out how to fund yourself. Uh, we're too busy trying to help the entrepreneurs. How can we help figure out how to help ourselves? Um, I like the analogy of it's like we're kind of barely in the ocean trying to keep our heads above water, clinging to a life preserver and, and trying to help others while trying to stay afloat ourselves. Uh, and telling us to figure it out ourselves is just disingenuous. So I, I don't think it's the answer is that the answer is not that we have to figure it out ourselves. I think we need help, 
And people need to get that. Are there any cities that are doing it well that we can look at as models that we can try and implement? I don't know. Um, you know, I know that there are cities who have a, a much, a, a very strong commitment to to entrepreneurship. You know, Kansas City has famously said they want to be the entrepreneurship capital of the world. Um, and I see, you know, through my, you know, working with the Kauffman Foundation, the eShips champions, I've, I've met and worked with a lot of other ecosystem builders. Um, and so I see bits and pieces of, of, of stories about their communities. You know, I, I saw Kansas City. I've seen what Beth Zimmer did in, in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, what Hassan has done in Detroit and, and, and all the others working with Hassan in Detroit. So I see lots of pieces of things, but I don't know if anybody's really, you know, totally hit the hit a home run. Um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll throw that back to you. What You've been doing a lot of these uh, podcasts. What cities have you seen that are really doing it well? There are two types of cities. So there are ones that have a lot of philanthropy funding mm-hmm. uh, to fill the gaps. And then there are cities that have really brought together a healthy mix of providers and philanthropy yeah. and corporate sponsors, et cetera. Denver has a really, really good mix yeah. of uh, there's a culture of innovation. Uh, there is a, a really strong group of people that will come together if there is an idea, a way to rally around ideas. And they're actually proud of people that continue to start. So there is a really good risk reward and even uh, respect for failure. A lot of communities don't have that. They only praise the good ones and then brush under the carpet the bad ones, which you got to highlight all founders, right? You got to incentivize even the ones that fail, mm-hmm. because if you praise the ones that failed and give them some spotlight, they'll be incentivized to restart. So there is, uh, there needs to be a mix. And then there's also the government that has realized the power of the startup ecosystem. And so DDO, the Denver Economic Development Organization, they actually are housed within the commons, which is the pivot point. Uh, which makes it a really good mix because the government is now seeing the vibrancy of the community. The government can participate in it. Uh, So that's one model where the community comes together in Detroit uh, because of the big three and all the other uh, manufacturers and big uh, organizations that have existed for a long time, the corporate ones, there's a really strong philanthropic um, effort there. Uh, But that's where, you know, there is a huge government vacuum that's being filled by philanthropy the question is, at what point does this money dry up? Because philanthropy is great for pilots and for proving proof of concepts. The philanthropists themselves will tell you, foundations will tell you, our money is not to do ongoing work. We'll fund an idea, but you got to then be able to kind of sustain that with government funding, et cetera. But that model for the past decade has done very well in Detroit. Mm-hmm. In that Detroit, if you go back, if you go to Detroit, it's really kind of revitalized. It's like got a new swag to it. Uh, and that comes from entrepreneurs. It comes. It doesn't come from getting, you know, like you said, it's a zero-sum game if it comes from the outside. It has to come organically, and they've been able to do it organically, but with a lot of help, which is not sustainable. Not every community has a Ford and a right. GM and a Toyota and all these big names. So you can't have that model everywhere in the country, but what they've done as conveners has been amazing. You know, to your point there, you, you brought up a really good point in that it, every community is different. And, and what one, you know, some communities have strength with philanthropies, philanthropic organizations. Some have uh, a lot of strength with a lot of corporates who are leaning in. Um, so I, I think it's a good point to make that it's, there's no one cookie cutter approach that you can just plop down anywhere. It really depends on your community and, and the community's strengths. You know, here in Sacramento, 
we don't have a lot of engagement from a big, we don't have big corporate headquarters here. We have a big presence from Intel, but they're, they're not headquartered here. We have some, some big uh, healthcare providers, but there's not like, you know, if you go to Cincinnati or, or Detroit or some of these other places where there's, or Minneapolis, where there's a lot of big corporates and, and they lean into and, and help provide help to that ecosystem, we don't have that here. And you certainly don't have that in rural areas. So every community is different. And so everybody has to kind of figure out what works for them uh, based on their strengths and their, and their liabilities. I'm going to shift to another topic that I know you're passionate about that we've been trying to also raise with our clients, which is the storytelling aspect, of it, <laughs> right? That's uh, if you can tell great stories, you can, again, bring in resources into your community. Can you talk a little bit about what got you on that journey and, and how you look at storytelling for ecosystem building? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, storytelling is really kind of why I started Startup Sack in the first place. You know, I, I've been a content creator web developer and web guy for, for almost 20 years. And so I, I feel strongly have and the ability to get a message out through content. And so when I started Startup Sack, I, one of the things I started to do was tell the stories of, of the entrepreneurs. In fact, we won a grant in 2016 to interview 50 different entrepreneurs uh, and tell their stories. Uh, and so that was kind of my first foray into um, ecosystem building storytelling. Um, and really, it's, you know, it's really impactful to be able to share the stories. And uh, there's a couple of, I think, uh, exemplary people that I've come across on a broader national scale that have done that even better. You know, you, you hear stories of Silicon Prairie News and, and some of these other great examples out there. But uh, Stephen Rodriguez in Washington, D.C., I'm sure you know Stephen. I had an interview with him, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and he told me a story about his, uh, I can't remember what he called it now. Uh, oh, it was 1863 Ventures and their the New Majority Initiative, where he was telling the stories uh, through a very simple mechanism of doing Instagram posts of some of the underserved um, entrepreneurs in the region and, and just getting their, their face and their story out there and, and basically shifting the narrative of entrepreneurship from, oh, it's, you know, it's the, the Mark Zuckerberg in working away in his garage or his dorm room to develop Facebook, that's entrepreneurship, into, no, it's, it's somebody working on a side hustle and they take a little bit further and they take a little bit further. Uh, that's, that's the story we need to tell about entrepreneurship and it, and it can inspire others. And so, you know, I've leaned into that um, here locally as well as doing it um, kind of at a meta level, trying to tell the stories of ecosystem builders through Ecosystem Builder Hub as well. So there's one good storytelling platform, just like the ones you've mentioned that uh, I've seen really kind of capture the essence of a city. It's called In Good Co. Detroit, uh, which is an amazing platform that we're able to go and tell the story of everyday entrepreneurs starting things like, you know, um, a hat company uh, that's been around for uh, two or three generations and pre preserving it, or uh, somebody trying to start uh, an iced tea business and getting fund funding from Kevin Hart. Um, and this is everyday entrepreneurs having to put their kids to bed at night and be on the phone with a funder and then being able to get on a plane on standby. Those are the real stories, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what entrepreneurs have to do every single day. And it's not about uh, the lack of resources, but it's coming from a position of strength, telling the story of not that we don't have, but what we have. And that is a different way to tell the narrative. 
right? You're telling from a position of strength that can really inspire other entrepreneurs to go and be on this journey themselves. Uh, and I don't know if you have stories from your archives that you'd like to share uh, with our listeners and also how they can access some of these stories themselves. Thinking, I, when you ask the stories to come to mind, I actually think about the broader uh, stories of ecosystem builders comes to mind. You know, and you mentioned uh, in Good Code Detroit, we actually, a couple of years ago, we had a, a Zoom call with, I can't remember the guy's name who was part of that campaign. Hearing how they put together that campaign and the results they had there is just really inspiring for any ecosystem builder to listen to. So uh, I'd encourage uh, checking it. Is it in Good Code Detroit, I believe, is, is the... Exactly. Uh, right. yeah. um, uh, another one is Startland News. Uh, I think they've done just an awesome job and they've been uh, spotlighted several times for that. As far as, you know, broad, broader ecosystem builders around the country... Um, one of my favorites is I interviewed a guy named Ted Baker in Muncie, Indiana. They have this uh, big idea pitch competition and seeing this, hearing the story from him about how impactful that has been on, on their ecosystem was, was inspiring for me, as well as the one I mentioned about Steven Rodriguez. Um, here locally, I haven't told the story yet. Uh, there's a there's a company called Origin Materials here in Sacramento that has alternative uh, or basically organic, basically plastic from from recycled wood chips or, or something like that. I don't know the scientific details of it, but uh, they're a, they're a success story. They actually just went public and they're nearly valued at nearly a billion dollars. So they're going to be a game changer. And it's a it's a company that came out of UC Davis here locally. Really smart bunch of people. Uh, it's a and inspiring how they stuck with it and they, they've, they've gone on to impact uh, basically the world um, by, by reducing the need for plastic and using these other materials. So uh, I think that's an inspiring story that needs to be told here in Sacramento. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, ecosystem builders and kind of the hard work that happens uh, with building ecosystems. Uh, if we are talking about like, you know, how do we move the needle for small businesses? Uh, when you look at ecosystem builders and the, and the work they do, how can you tell their story from an economic development perspective? Because uh, economic development, I ran a poll recently on LinkedIn asking economic developers, what is their top priority for 2021? And almost 68% of them said it was business attraction and attention. <laughs> and I was trying to prove my point. And so I said, you know what, I've got three or 4,000 uh, ecosystem builders and economic developers from across the country on my LinkedIn page. Let me just run a poll. And, you know, it's startling that even at the, in this day and age, we still have to kind of help them understand about the, the value of entrepreneurship. So uh, how can we marry those two ideas together better? Well, so it's something that we're trying to start doing here is tell the story of entrepreneurship as an economic development strategy. I mean, if you look at the research, most net new jobs come from on, from new businesses or young businesses. So that's something we need to educate the general community more. I mean, myself and my co-founder, we're, we're starting to team to, up together with other uh, basically entrepreneur support organizations here in the region to kind of try to become a coalition, if you will. Uh, and develop a, a campaign to educate um, others, because we're aware of it. We do the research and reading. We, we go to SCN and Kauffman and we see these things, but 
the broader community doesn't know the power of entrepreneurship. And so we, it, it's probably up to us to share that message uh, with not only economic developers, but the business people in general. If the more business people know that, you know, if we support entrepreneurs, you know, maybe if we connect, you know, a new startup business with their potential customers, if we connect entrepreneurs, uh, if we get them early stage funding, if we provide access to resources, we're going to have a big impact on not just those individual businesses, but as they grow the overall economy. So we need to educate people on that opportunity and the fact that it's not going to happen in a year or two. This is a this is a long some it's a long term game. So uh, you've got to be patient, but know that it works. Yep. There's one other component I wanted to get your thoughts on, which is the data analytics uh, behind mm. this, right? So when you have data and storytelling, it's very hard to ignore. Uh, whoever is bringing that to the table. And what we've seen in communities, for example, when we do an ecosystem map and then we'll go look at the gap in the assets, we uh, were part of uh, a report where if you, uh, where we actually, the, the outcome of that report was that when you had a program for returning citizens, recidivism rate dropped by almost two thirds. And with that report was used to say, you know, we need to stand up programs for returning citizens. And it was actually done in St. Paul, Minneapolis, which has one of the highest incarceration rates in the, in the country. And we did the ecosystem map and we were able to show the gaps in the assets there. And with that hard data, it's very hard for either philanthropy or like you said, the big corporations, 3M, Target, Best Buy, all of the ones there to not do something about it. The stories are great, but then when you bring the data to back that up, you know, then it's hard to not do something about it. Can you talk about, you know, the impact of data in storytelling? Well, uh, probably not very well. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I, I'm a big fan of data and, and data analytics, but I, I, I haven't spent much time. It's very hard to collect data as, as an ecosystem builder. Um, and unfortunately, most of the data that people want is how many new jobs did program X create, you know? You know, a lot of our programs are all about connecting entrepreneurs to their resources. And it's really tough to say, okay, based on that event we did, five jobs were created, you know. So I, I will say I just saw a paper come out today from, um, I don't know if you know him, Eric Stam uh, is, is a big data guy called Measure Twice, Cut Once Entrepreneurial Ecosystem Metrics. And it was just tweeted out today. I just retweeted it from the Build Ecosystems Twitter account so people can find it that way. Um, but I do think, um, even though I don't know, have a lot of good data about data and storytelling, I do think that uh, it is something that, you know, the economic developers, the government, they're going to look at that data. If they can see some hard numbers and if you can incorporate that into your storytelling, I think your likelihood of success is going to be much higher when they can see that the facts in the data. In fact, uh, one of the studies that we did in uh, Michigan that the governor of Michigan was able to actually present on the main stage in a small business summit recently was around access to capital for micro businesses and uh, CDFIs generally are incentivized to provide loans greater than $250,000. Like that's their sweet spot and small and micro businesses there uh, in some cities, their mean income is $27,000. They're not applying for a $250,000 loan. Like, the assets in the community, the infrastructure doesn't support small and micro businesses. That's the reality of it. And by being able to use data to show that, we were able to influence the outcome because they had asked us, they were getting some SSBCI dollars. 
and they wanted to invest it. And they came to us because of our reach across the state in Michigan and asked us, where do we invest these dollars? And we were able to actually use data to point them in the direction of micro businesses. And the power of having this data really changes the equation because if you didn't have the data, you could tell the story, but you couldn't actually move their hearts and minds. Like they were like, yeah, we know it sucks, but here we actually had hard data. In fact, some of that was a precursor to the hub and spoke model that the SBA came up with for the $100 million program, where uh, we were able to show in some cities that black founders and black small businesses applied at one fifth the rate as the white small businesses for PPP. Again, really, really hard data that you can't ignore. And, and things like this, you know, when you come with this uh, data, which we wouldn't have been able to do if we didn't have a platform that provided plumbing lines into the community. So again, the need to upfront invest in infrastructure then allows you to get the data and then the storytelling and then move the needle of investment back into the community. So that's something that uh, we've been able to push really hard for a lot of our communities to be disciplined around the data because that's how economic developers think. And economic developers ultimately control the purse strings. So if we want investments back into entrepreneurship, we got to speak their language. Uh, and yeah, you're right. They always you know, talk about jobs, but there are a lot more than just jobs. Like you know, if you're trying to support communities, where are the gaps? And they don't have the bandwidth to go measure that. So if we can come to the table with that kind of data, we can really influence the outcome. Well, you just had a really good story there that used data to do the storytelling. So I, I, have you published that somewhere? Yes. I mean, that would be a great yeah. idea. Okay, we actually awesome. published that, and I'll share that with you. So we actually put a recommendation policy paper out uh, with that. Awesome. So I'll share that after this. Uh, and we did a white paper on that, actually, uh, on how do you build these ecosystems with the hub and spoke model where there's data involved and how do you do the reporting. So I'll, I'll share that. I'll, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll put that in the, in the notes. So talking about uh, you know, ecosystem builders, if you look back at your journey and you had to kind of help some of the emerging ecosystem builders in this field, you know, what would you tell them that you did well or <laughs> didn't do well so that they can kind of, you know, uh, make some of the, the choices that, that are coming up for them? <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is, is uh, well, first thing is don't do it. <laughs> That's only half, half jokingly. The first, no, there really is, is you don't quit your day job. Uh, build up some money. If, if you're going to make, try to make a career out of ecosystem building, um, line up the funding first or have a good padding of savings or something to work off because you're not going to make a, you're probably not going to make a good living as an ecosystem builder, at least as a grassroots nonprofit one. It's, it's a very tough thing to do. You know, I think you're probably aware of, of the Twitter thread a couple, a few weeks ago with Joe Marischuk, Marischuk and, and Eugene Oregon, basically he's been an ecosystem builder there for, I don't know, decades. And basically he just had to say, you know, I can't do it anymore. It's not sustainable. I can't do this. I got to go do something else. Um, and that echoes what so many other people have found. I mean, it echoes my experience. You know, it's it's just so tough to make uh, make ends meet and do this work. Um, that I would say, line up a good chunk of, of of money to work from would be my piece of advice for anybody wanting to get into this. Uh, have some money lined up so you don't have to worry about it beforehand. What about uh, the convening aspect? Is there any lessons learned around how do you kind of bring a coalition uh, like how you've done in Sacramento? How do you bring a coalition of uh, people to gather to rally around a cause? Because 
that always makes us so much more powerful than you know going out on our own. It's interesting you bring that up because I mentioned a little bit earlier that there's a small set of ecosystem players here in Sacramento that are coming together and trying to form a coalition. Um, it, it kind of happened organically uh, and actually it was kind of kind of started because of COVID. Um, back in, how many years ago has it been now that COVID started? Um, I guess it was in March of 2020. You know, we historically, Startup SAC has had a monthly meetup called Startup SAC Happy Hour where we would meet together in a pub or a bar or restaurant uh, have some networking, bring in a speaker, a successful founder. When COVID hit, we had to take that virtually. Um, and so one of the first things we did was team up with another uh, organization, the Carlson Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Sac State, uh, who's got a great executive director, uh, Cameron Law. And we said, let's collaborate on this, on the Zoom, and, and pool our networks together. We started doing that, and it just became a thing where it wasn't just a one-time thing. We, we said, let's just do this as a collaborative effect, and we can reach our different networks. Um, a few months later, we brought another uh, ecosystem building organization, came on board, formerly known as Haney Biz, now they're called the Growth Factory. Uh, and we just decided we'd start convening. We're all basically the same mindset, and it's like, how we can have a bigger impact if we collaborate and work together and um, and so it's, it's still early days. We've just been kind of, you know, meeting every month and figuring out, you know, what are our core values? What do we want to do? Um, that kind of a thing. And so I think people, my advice would be to for, reach, find another organization who you can work with and be impactful and figure out how you can start collaborating on something, uh, whether it's just coordinating calendars to start with or if it's a program where you can help each other out. Uh, and share uh, what's happening, but find something that you can do together uh, as two different organizations or three or however many and start collaborating on that and you know, convene your networks basically uh, and see what kind of an impact that will have. And I'm very excited to see uh, what kind of an impact we can have here uh, comes out of this. Yeah, I've met with Cameron Law before and I love what they're, they're doing as well. So. Yeah, he's a great asset to the community. Yeah. So that's great. That's really what ecosystem building is at the end of the day, is bringing people together, right? Mm -hmm. And the power of the yeah. collective. So uh, this is awesome. Uh, I wish we could keep going, but it's been a pleasure talking to you, Jeff. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Today. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polnraj. Special thanks to Jeff Bennett for joining us. Show notes by creative director Jackie Dietrich. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.